This episode of the Beauty Industry Podcast was brought to you by Dermatonic Skincare. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Beauty Industry Podcast, your online support community for the professional beauty industry, connecting you with educational pieces, innovative industry products and inspiration from industry experts. I am your host, founding director of Beauty Industry, Tamara Shaw. If you love skin and learning, then today's guest is going to be the perfect episode for you. My guest today needs no introduction, as many of you probably know her as a household industry name, Shizar Westcar. Shizar has an incredible resume history and industry experience, including completing her Bachelor of Health Sciences in Dermal Clinical Therapies, her master's degree in human nutrition, an advanced diploma in nutritional medicine, as well as certificates across health coaching, metabolic balance, and becoming a GAPS practitioner. She is also a dermal clinician and educator herself, a health coach, and the founder of the Nutritional Skincare Academy, whose mission it is to empower skin specialists with vital and innovative tools to obtain outstanding and long-lasting results for their clients. I've been waiting to find the perfect conversational topic to feature Shizar on this podcast. And when I saw discussion around treating clients on the higher end of the Fitzpatrick scale on her blog, I knew this would be a fantastic episode to verbalize for you and to create awareness around. Shizar shares with us how to treat, precautions, and advice on the higher Fitzpatrick and above clients, which I am so sure you are going to love listening to. From the Nutritional Skincare Academy, today we welcome Shizar Westcar. Welcome to the podcast, Shiza. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tamara, thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really, really looking forward to this. It is all my pleasure. So we are here to talk about treating and understanding the higher end of the Fitzpatrick scale when it comes to skin. Uh, However, I would love for you to share your journey through the industry before we get into our topic today. I would love to. I have actually been in the industry since 1996. Um, I was lucky enough to have worked on cruise ships. Um, I've had my own little mobile beauty business. And after coming back to Australia, having been away for seven years, I was in the UK where I did my beauty therapy course and then went to work on ships and then went to Papua New Guinea and set up a mobile business, came back to Australia seven years later with the hope of setting up my own day spa. And I looked around and saw that there were day spas everywhere that had all been been bankrolled by big business. And I did not. So that took care of that idea. But being someone with Sodesco um, qualifications, I, I looked up beauty schools and I found one on George Street here in Sydney called um, the Strand Beauty College or um, the, sorry, the Strand College of Beauty Therapy. And I contacted them and I went and had an interview with the then principal, Narelle Blinman, and I got a job teaching and I was there for two years. I then moved on to teach at Dermalogica for two years and then was invited back to the Strand as college principal. I was there for one year before I moved into medical aesthetics and I ended up being a trainer with advanced skin technology for 11 years. I went from being New South Wales state trainer to the national um, training manager and then I moved into a global role and those 11 years I think really made me decide that I wanted to do something in my own right for the industry. And that led to me leaving AST and setting up the Nutritional Skincare Academy because what I saw was a a really big gap in the market. And to me, the link that was missing was the role that nutrition played in the skin conditions that us as clinicians were faced with. And so my academy has been going for a year now And what I do is educate skin therapists in all their guises. So medical aesthetic practitioners, um, nurse aestheticians or um, nurses involved in aesthetic practice, 
dermal clinicians, beauty therapists. So anyone who has an interest in skin and, and sort of wants to know how nutrition impacts skin, they enroll in my classes and I just love it. So that's my journey so far. My, my focus now is just growing the, the academy, but I'm also very fortunate because I work as a nutritionist. I, I went out and I, I did a master's degree in human nutrition and then also I did an advanced diploma in nutritional medicine and I work as a nutritionist as well as run my academy. So, yeah, very lucky and very happy in what I'm, I'm doing. Busy lady. Very, very busy but very happy. <laughs> so I was six when you first started <laughs> oh, in the industry. <laughs> so you have years and years of experience up your sleeve, which is absolutely incredible. And we also share that um, we both studied and worked on a cruise oh. ship, so it's quite an expansive and um, life-changing absolutely. role, isn't it? hard work but lots of fun. That's exactly right. And so 11 years at AST, which is absolutely incredible. I don't think the lifespan of a beauty therapist um, is that long anymore, let alone staying in the one role for 11 years. So you've certainly done well there. And now on to the Nutritional Skin Care Academy. So um, you mentioned there that it was a gap in the market. Obviously, these days now, a lot of people are talking about nutrition um, how was the landscape of nutrition and skincare education when you wanted to create uh, the Nutritional Skincare Academy? The landscape was almost non-existent, to be honest with you, mm. um, and that, that's the reason why I decided to branch out. Um, we had at AST brought in a nutritional supplement line, um, and honestly, it, it gave me a new lease of life because it really spoke to me and it, it, it validated what I knew was missing. And going into clinics and training therapists on this missing link, you could see their eyes light up. You could see that they got that there was something missing, that they weren't always getting the results that they'd hoped for with their topical preparations that they were recommending for clients to use at home and with them in clinic treatments. And even though, you know, it's funny because even though we learn as therapists about all the body systems, and in some cases we learn about nutrition as a separate unit, there is no crossing over. There is no marrying of both of them, you know, mm -hmm. and, and even at tertiary level, nutrition is only starting to be taught as it is linked to skin conditions. So there are a few um, tertiary um, degrees out there at the moment that are now starting to look at the, the, the link between the two rather than teaching nutrition as a standalone unit. And I just feel that as therapists, knowing as much as we do about the body, you can't look at nutrition and not bring that into the conversation. And yet, sadly, therapists are, are very nervous about doing that because they feel that they're sort of stepping over their mark or, or practicing outside of their scope if they do talk about nutrition. And that's what the Academy is all about. It's, it's enabling therapists to have that very easy conversation, but doing it the right way without putting, you know, sort of pretending to be something, something that they're not. Mm. And I love um, how you've said there when you see therapists have that understanding of how nutrition can influence the skin, they have this almost light bulb, deer in headlights yeah. moment, and then they're almost cross over to this whole other world of the industry. Um, I remember talking to a therapist about pigmentation, for example, and um, I, she had a client who had a lot of pigment. It was both dermal and epidermal. And I was saying to her, well, have you asked about her lifestyle, what she's doing every day? What are her main meals? Is she snacking? Um, you know, what time is she eating? All of these kind of things. And she looked at me and was just baffled and just couldn't understand why I would be asking her had she asked her client. And so after a little bit of education, it was almost like she was just transformed mm. and she just wanted to dig further and further. But it still astounds me that, you know, all these years later in the industry, now only we're talking about nutrition. I know, I know. And yet we know that doctors before they... Um, I'm thinking about plastic surgeons, for example, who are about to perform surgery on a patient will ask them to change their diet, get rid of essential fatty acids, for example, because we know that that um, can affect the clotting process. You know, we see ourselves that smoker's skin is not healthy skin. You know, we, we see how dull and how lifeless, how lifeless that skin is. You know, we know that 
eating poorly affects wound healing. And if we're in clinic performing treatments on, on clients that are invasive, or when I say invasive, that are um, that, that drive inflammation, for example, even though it's, it's um, temporary uh, inflammation or acute inflammation, we know that wound healing can be impacted. So to me, it's a no-brainer that, that we need to look at, at, at what our clients are eating in order to get the best results for them. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I can hear how passionate you are about education. What is it about education and training and helping others that kind of makes your heart sing? Um, Tamara, I think when you mentioned um, me saying how um, um, therapists' eyes light up when they learn something new, I think that is what drives me. I think empowering through education is the biggest reason I do what I do. You know, I find that the more people that we educate or we empower, the better our industry becomes. So it's about really getting our industry to be a credible industry where where we are all following best practice. And so I know through my academy, I, you know, I'll get one or two, you know, people who then go back to their clinics and affect so many more because they're actually working on, you know, their clients and, and making a difference in their clients' lives. So the empowerment, I think, for me is my biggest driver, making a difference to people who then make a difference Amazing. to people. Yes. And it does have that knock-on effect when you when you have that connection with a therapist, they go back and it's almost like they are just singing your song for you. They want to tell everyone, including their colleagues and their manager and their family and their clients as well. So it's a pretty phenomenal role to be and in. And I think, you know, it warms my heart when I then get the phone call or the email saying, oh, my gosh, Chisa, I did what you said and she was <laughs> amazed or she bought or whatever, you know, it's it's. I guess that I'm almost like a, a parent, you know, whose child has done well and, you know, that feeling of pride, but also just happy for that, for the therapist who in the client's eyes has now become an expert. You know, it's, it's, it's all that empowerment that I mentioned before that, that makes me, that really pleases me. I love mm. that. Um, and so let's talk about the blog post you wrote on treating Fitzpatrick three skins and above. Describe for us why you decided to put that content together so specifically and then titled it as you did. <laughs> it was a bit of a clickbait title, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was great. <laughs> I, I, I felt I had to. Um, I like you, like you know, I've been in the industry a long time and um, you know, for a long time, I was the only person who looked like me, you know, in an educational role in the industry. And I would sit by and, you know, attend seminars or, or go into clinics and hear from therapists what they'd been taught about a particular modality. And, you know, hearing, for example, that needling, microneedling can be done on all Fitzpatrick's because it's colorblind, you know, and then having to sort of go and educate why that was not quite true, you know, that, that was always sort of something that I've, I've had to contend with. But the reason why I wrote the blog, what white estheticians need to know about working with dark skinned <laughs> clients is because I happened to be in many groups on Facebook, many esthetician groups on Facebook. And there was one in particular that has 11,000 clinicians or therapists in the group and a this is an, an American group and a white esthetician mm. had asked the question in the group um, following an incident that had happened in her beauty school now this esthetician was actually a trainee esthetician so she was in her final year of beauty school and mm. she had brought her black friend in for a treatment just you know as you do you know free free treatments you know it's more of a practicing opportunity for the the um the students and so she brought her black friend in for a treatment and the instructor had turned her black friend away and she mm. had explained that she wasn't able to do a treatment on her or, or have her have a treatment because she didn't want to risk damaging her skin. And that was the way that it was explained. And so right. this white esthetician was mortified and her black friend was embarrassed and I guess a bit humiliated mm -hmm. as well. And so this therapist trainee had come into the group to ask the question, guys, this is what's just happened. Was it racist? 
because, mm. and, and what she said was, I know as a beauty therapist trainee that there are treatments that I could have done on her. And for this teacher to have said what she did, I, I'm not sure how to read it. And what surprised me, Tamara, was the reaction because it was split down the middle. Right. You had as many raging, angry estheticians mm-hmm. in the group going, racist, it was racist, how dare she, this is 2019, you know. <laughs> and then you had as many saying, no, I would have done exactly the same thing. No, mm. there was nothing wrong with what she did. And I sat there reading these comments thinking, oh, my gosh, now here's a teaching moment. So I hopped into the group and I did a Facebook Live. And I introduced myself. Now, obviously, I'm Australian. They're American. But we're all estheticians. We're all, you know, so we all have the same goals. So mm. in, in my live, I explained that I actually didn't think that she was being racist. But what I identified was that here was a, an instructor who was clearly only used to working on Fitzpatrick's one to three. And I didn't think she had any experience with darker skins. And so she was playing it safe. But what I also said was that was no excuse, absolutely no excuse, because as an instructor in this day and age, in the melting pot that America is, for you not to understand the nuances around working with higher Fitzpatricks as an instructor, absolutely inexcusable. Mm. It doesn't make sense to me, you know, not in this day and age. Come on now. And I said, I then said I'd actually done a, I'd actually spoken on this very topic at um, a lot of doctor um, dermatological conferences. And the response was always the same with, you know, attendees coming up to me and saying, you know what, I found that so informative because you're right. I have got no experience working on darker skins and I'm nervous too. So this was very, very insightful. And that's really why after the the live, I thought, you know what, I'm going to blog about it as well. Um, And yeah, so I think that what showed up in the responses is very reflective of what we deal with here in Australia. You know, now, I mean, I I was born here um, and I have seen, you know, as I've grown older, the melting pot that Australia has become. You know, once upon a time, as a, as a dark-skinned person, I'd see another dark person down the street and I would chase them down the street to find out who, you know, who they were or, you know, and having my girlfriends, if I sort of saw another black person on the street, we'd smile at each other, sort of like a knowing smile. My friend would say, did you know him or do you, do you know her? I'm like, no, it's a black thing. But, but you know, it, it, it's changed now. You know, you've got so many more people of different ethnic mixes, um, you know, happily calling Australia home, having been born here, but still being scared to go into clinics because they don't feel that the white therapists are going to know what to do with their skin. And I just think it's inexcusable. As a therapist, it's inexcusable. Not, 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 not in today's um, um, society where you've got so many mixes all living here harmoniously. Yeah, you're 100% correct. And I think it's a lot of the time the fear and even being um, an educator in the past myself, it is a whitewash in the classroom. You know, it is mostly Fitzpatrick one or two. You might get um, occasional kind of, well, specifically um, in Queensland and in Melbourne, I saw it's a little bit different in Sydney, a little bit more ethnicity come into play, but it is just a fear because the educator doesn't know how to treat higher Fitzpatrick, therefore they're not articulating that to the therapist. So it's it's almost ignorant on both behalfs and especially, as you said, if you are an educator, it is your due diligence to understand how to treat all types of the Fitzpatrick scale. Mm. And I guess because I'm a dark-skinned person, I, I felt that I had to say something because, you know, most of these when you think of in-clinic modalities, most of these modalities are being trained on um, by Caucasian-skinned educators mm. who have no experience with darker skins, you know. And so, and I've I've been I've been in clinic. What I didn't mention is that I'm, I'm, I also work as a dermal therapist. So I, I work as a nutritionist, dermal therapist, and I have my academy. And I've been in in clinic and had you know a laser specialist come in to talk about a particular laser. And as soon as I ask whether I can have a treatment, you can you can see the look of fear in their eyes and nervousness. Yeah. 
oh, oh, well, actually, no, um, it's only ever been tested on Fitzpatrick's one to four, perhaps, you know, and it's almost like anything higher doesn't exist. And, and that, mm. that's pretty reflective when you think of it, of, you know, the, the attitude generally. Now, I'm, I, am being, I am being generalist when I say this, but it's almost like anything higher is irrelevant or doesn't exist. And so we mm. therefore become muzzled, you know, and we just go along with it because we've got no, 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 no choice. But in this case, we do have a choice. And I'm, as a dark-skinned person, I'm here to tell you that there are many treatments that a dark-skinned client can have, we safely have, if only... The, the the prep is done beforehand yes absolutely agree let's um just step back to basics I'm sure everyone who is listening I hope everyone who is listening understands the Fitzpatrick scale but just for people who maybe are afraid to say that they don't know what it is or they might feel silly asking the question um, can you just give us more of kind of a visual explanation of the Fitzpatrick scale I'd be happy to and you know one one of the things I always say when I teach is there's no such thing as a silly question. We're all here to learn and to empower. And some of us have more experience than others, but, you know, we're all wanting to do the best for our clients. And so the Fitzpatrick um, scale is a scale that's used in dermatology to grade the different types of skin colours based on their reaction to UV radiation. And the response to UV radiation is relevant to us as clinicians because it will tell us what the risks of certain treatments are on a client based on their colouring. So it goes from types 1 all the way down to type 6. And a type 1 would be a, a very fair-skinned person who, with any kind of UV exposure, will burn. This person never tans, so they will burn. The big, you know, their skin will become erythematous, so they'll have the redness mm -hmm. showing, and then they will develop freckling as a way of the skin trying to protect itself against UV radiation. And so think of a ginger, a, a redhead. And then we have a, Fitz, uh, a Fitzpatrick type 2, and this would be someone who would burn, but then usually tan slightly. And then we have a 3, and a 3 is someone whose first response to UV exposure would be to tan. But then if they spend a lot of time in the sun, they will burn, but then they will tan more deeply. And then a four would be someone, typically a more, more of a Mediterranean type skin. So this person is tan pretty much all year round. They can darken, but you know, that sort of Mediterranean, um, and when I say Mediterranean, I've got to be careful because you've got your, your fair and your darker types. But this, mm. this person is someone who is usually olive skinned all year round that will darken if they're in the sun, but they usually they usually remain olive. Um, and then a five is someone who is um, uh, chocolate brown. Um, this person would normally be, I always think of people, you know, sort of from the subcontinent. So you can, you have someone who is sort of, I mean, I, I'm a Fitzpatrick, okay, sorry, I'm jumping the gun. So a five would be mm. a, a lighter, a lighter chocolate. Um, so this person, once again, always tans. Um, what amuses me is that the fives and the sixes are usually um, usually people who are of a, of a darker skin type. And for both of them, the category typically says they never burn. Now, I'm mm. here to tell you as a Fitzpatrick six, which is the most pigmented a person can be. And, and in Fitzpatrick six, there are people who are darker again than, than I am. But as a, a, a Fitzpatrick six phototype, I scuba dive. And I have been burned. So we don't <laughs> typically burn. But if we're out, outside all day on a hot day, we will burn. Absolutely. And, and also, you know, end up with um, some shedding from, from the burn as well. So we peel. But it's not something that you will find happens commonly. Um, but mm. it, it, it absolutely is possible. So these, these categories that go from one to six, we normally start at three. And we call three, fours, fives and sixes, we call them skins at risk. And the reason we call these category, this category um, skins at risk is because anything from a three and higher runs the risk of post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation from treatments that are done in clinic. Now, most doctors, if they are looking at this, photo, um, this um, Fitzpatrick phototype, tend to work from one 
to three as being skins that are at no risk and then four, five mm. and six as the skins that are at risk. I put threes in there because as you heard me sort of stumbling before when I was talking about Mediterranean types, you can have an Italian person who is very fair with blonde hair and blue eyes and you can have an Italian person who is quite dark. And so we, with the Fitzpatrick three phototype, I look at high and low um, colouring in that, in that group. But so that we don't miss any, I always recommend that a three, four, five and six are treated as skins that you want to be very careful with. Yes, uh, I love that explanation and I like that you include Fitzpatrick 3 in Skins at Risk because as do I um, when I'm educating as well in that a 3 can be a lighter mm-hmm. 3 who pigments pink, for example, mm-hmm. or it can be a darker 3 who pigments brown. Absolutely. So it's very difficult just to tell via eyesight what colour that, that a 3 is going to pigment, whereas a 4, 5 and 6, you basically know that Absolutely. the pigment is going to be brown. But then what about tomorrow? What about someone who appears to be fair um, that has a Japanese mother or a Maori mm. father, for example? I've also come across that. And so what I do is rather than get them to rely on the Fitzpatrick phototype, I actually ask them what their skin is like after they have either scratched it or been bitten by a mozzie or, you know, sort of had some kind of trauma to it. Does it go pink and then does it fade to back, back to white or are you left with a brown mark? Perfect. Sorry. And that, Sorry. No, that's and that okay. I think is a better indication of, of what's going on than um, just looking at the Fitzpatrick photos, phototype. Mm. And so just asking the client, do you have a recent graze or scratch or maybe you've burnt yourself on the hair strainer yeah. or the oven or the iron like I always do and, um, you know, actually having a visual because sometimes I think clients don't know as well if you said, you know, what colour is it? Is it pink or brown? They have no idea themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think that just makes it a lot easier for them to be able to relate to when you ask that question. We will be back with more of the Beauté Industry podcast after this short message from our sponsors. Are you looking for home care for your clients with melasma? Dermatonics Melasma Care is a unique patent-protected neutrodermaceutical packed with naturally active ingredients specifically formulated for the care of your client's skin with melasma. Find out more by emailing info at dermatonics.com.au. And so you were talking there about post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. Mm. Um, This is obviously a complication that can occur when treating the Fitzpatrick three and above the skins at more risk. Can you just describe for us exactly what that is? So post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation comes about where the skin has undergone trauma now in a caucasian skin trauma is usually indicated by erythema and once the erythema dissipates once the skin goes through its wound healing process goes through three very distinct phases the inflammatory the proliferative and the remodeling phase once that all happens the skin returns to its normal color but which is, you know, white. But in a higher Fitzpatrick phototype, with any kind of trauma, you have the inflammation, so that inflammatory phase where you will actually see redness on that skin. Now, if the client is of a higher Fitzpatrick, um, then that may not be obvious, but the erythema is still present. Now, a lot of people will find when they do treatments in clinic that maybe they've done laser or they might have done needling or a chemical peel. They might have the client ring back in a day or two and say, oh, my God, my pigment's worsened. And I always say that pigment has not worsened. What they are seeing is inflammation that has caused the existing pigment to darken. But that Mm. phase where pigment actually is produced hasn't occurred yet. So once the skin has gone through the inflammatory phase, it then moves into the proliferative phase. Now, you will then see if the skin has not been treated properly beforehand, you will then see pigmentation resulting. So, for example, if I, if I cut my, if I sort of scratch or cut myself, the, the, the pigment doesn't appear immediately because the, the, the skin has to go through those phases of wound healing. But one of the things that is triggered with, from inflammation is the melanocyte. And so when 
prolifer the proliferative phase occurs, apart from the keratinocyte sort of moving in and sort of, you know, sort of, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, 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 the keratinocytes move in and they re restore that homeostasis. Mm. But underneath, you've also got collagen remodeling, et cetera, occurring. Now, in the process, as those new cells move in to repair that injury, the melanocytes also move in. And so on a darker skin, one of the things that you will see is once the inflammation goes, that you are now dealing with pigment that wasn't previously there. And so any treatment that is done in clinic on a higher Fitzpatrick needs to have beforehand some prepping that occurs. And we talk about prepping being some pigment inhibiting ingredients. I always put in vitamin A. I always put in some hydrators as well so that that skin is in its best condition, which will then enable it to be able to go through any treatment that you're doing and come out with a successful outcome. Mm. So almost what you're um, saying there, when your client has pigment or it seems to be pigment, the day or two or three, as we know, they're in the inflammatory stage, that's inflammatory pigment. However, it's transient. When you have pigment that occurs during a proliferative stage, which we know is beyond day three up to day 10 um, in the wound healing process, then that is post the inflammation. So then that is post-inflammatory hyperpigment, which can become a little bit more solidified. Absolutely solidified and much harder to get rid of. Not that it, and so this is the thing, I think a lot of people get very scared that that pigment that has occurred post-treatment is going to be there forever. You can definitely find, not in all cases, but in most cases, that that PIH, depending on, I guess, how, um, how much trauma was induced, will actually lessen and improve over time. So PIH mm. is transient for the most part, but it yes. does take a lot to get rid of it and so if you've had a client come in to see you in all good faith thinking that you're the expert and you haven't prepared her skin effectively and she ends up with PIH you've lost her but mm. you but worse you might also you know be on um, a current affair that's <laughs> <laughs> Australian's worst nightmare absolutely, isn't it going on a current affair <laughs> so I just I just think that as clinicians we need to understand that there should not be any shortcuts. It always baffles me when, you know, client um, therapists will say, oh, well, they're not going to buy all that when mm. I recommend mm. prepping. They would rather buy all that if they had the option than have the, P the PIH at the end of the treatment. So it's all how you explain it, I think, Tamara. Mm. And I think realising as therapist, I, I call some therapists cowboy or cowgirl therapist because um, – with all well respect, you may be trained across a few different product ranges or a few different modalities, but every range and every ingredient and every modality is so different. And for example, um, I'll use needling. So I know a lot of therapists who treat in circular motions with needling, um, which in my opinion, I've seen post-inflammatory mm. hyperpigmentation occur from that. And then when they come and you teach them, okay, we're going to do horizontal or mm. vertical lines, they just want to go straight into what yes. they know in doing circles. Yes. And you have to realise that there are different procedures and protocols because there has been evidence of causing pigment, mm. trauma pigment. Mm. So not to jump on the high horse and kind of think you know everything, no matter how many years of experience you have, you always still need to take everything as a learning opportunity and follow the guidelines. Absolutely, and that's us as, as, as educators as well. You know, we're always learning. Mm. We're always updating and upgrading our skills because things change. You know, as we learn, as we know more, then, you know, then we, we make changes. We've got to take it on, but I think so definitely so do therapists. Mm. You were talking before about um, the inflammatory stage, and I know when we are dealing with inflammation, obviously in a Fitzpatrick 1, 2 or 3, it's very, very easy to see um, consistent erythema, which we normally point to as the clinical endpoint. Um, 
how can we see the clinical endpoint when it's a little bit more difficult in a higher Fitzpatrick? And when does the therapist know the difference between a safe treatment and then over-treating perhaps? Well, I, I think that when, when looking at a uh, higher Fitzpatrick, my rule of thumb is always to just go in gently. I think mm. that there is a real misconception around darker skins that, they somehow must be tougher skins. And I've actually, in class, I've actually asked, you know, my um, students, you know, I'll give a scenario where I put, you know, a Fitzpatrick 3 or a Fitzpatrick 2 person next to a Fitzpatrick 6 person, same age, um, same lifestyles. And I asked them which of the two skins, what the two skins would show, um, you know, as a result of, of lifestyle. And it's really interesting that the, the responses that come back, because what the responses show me is that they've got no idea how a dark skin responds to anything, mm. really. And so with, um, with treatments, I think, first of all, you've got to have an understanding of what treatments are effective on a dark skin. And it's really important that we don't put everybody into the same basket and treat them all as one. It's important to understand that there are nuances and there are definitely um, differences between the two. And so with a dark skin that you're treating, you ask what the endpoints would be. My question to you would be, what are we talking about? Are we talking about chemical peels? Are we talking about, about needling? Are we talking about microdermabrasion? Because with chemical peels, there are certain peels that should not be done on a dark skin. I've been on forums where they're talking about doing a, um, a Jesna on a, on a Fitzpatrick mm. 5 or 6. And I'm thinking, but, but why, why would you? Why would you do that? And so I go in and very gently educate that you run the risk of hyperpigmentation with that treatment where it's a true Jesna. And so depending on the, 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 the color of that skin, Tamara, there may be some erythema that shows through or the skin may even appear darker <clears throat> where there is erythema underneath it because you've got the pigmentation and then the erythema making it appear darker. But I think what I would say is um, that it's important for therapists to know the sorts of treatments that they can and can't do and then work within whatever the guidelines are. So each, <clears throat> excuse me, each device that comes out would have certain guidelines. And if they're mm. not teaching about higher Fitzpatrick's, well, then attend classes or courses that, that do. You know, it's not enough to say, oh, well, you know, I, I didn't know that or I wasn't taught that. There is so much out there education-wise that, that we can tap into more than ever before. So, mm. yeah, so... Um, like I said, it, it depends on what the treatment is. I'll give you an example. I have therapists who are freaked out about doing a salicylic acid peel on, a Fitz, on anything higher than a Fitzpatrick 4 because mm. they feel that they're going, it's going to cause PIH. And I, yes. and, I, and I explain to them that salicylic acid is actually an anti-inflammatory peel, despite it being <laughs> as, as fiery hot as it is. It ha actually has an anti-inflammatory action in the skin coming from the same family as aspirin. But before they do that peel on an acne skin that's a higher Fitzpatrick that requires a salicylic acid peel, they need to make sure that they have prepped that skin appropriately using tyrosinase inhibitors, you know, melanin transfer inhibitors, antioxidants, mm -hmm. hydration, some vitamin A. Get that skin well prepared and you won't have a problem. Amazing. And I think as well, um, just as therapists, we're all what I call resurfacing junkies. You know, we just want to do the most resurfacing, oh. the highest treatment, the deepest yes. needle, and we just want to do it now. Yes. You know, I think some therapists limit themselves as they don't they don't want to start the client at point A and then go through the whole alphabet to get to point Z. They just want to go to Z straight away, you know, and I think sometimes we need to actually respect the skin and respect its wound healing process and the fact that it is a living organ, the largest organ, in fact, mm -hmm. and that we need to work clients up through a journey and through a pathway. And this is why you have series and treatment plans and all of this kind of thing in your menu. It's not just so that the business can sell $600 worth of needling packages or peel packages. It's actually to get the best results for the client. And I think that's key, getting the best result for the client. You know, a lot mm. of clinics will have a cookie cutter type of methodology where everybody gets the same thing. And once they've had this, then they go on to have that. You've got yeah. to, first of all, remember that there's a person inside that skin. And you really are 
trying to get the best outcome for whatever the concern is. There are some skins that don't need anything more than, than say, a, a very superficial treatment. I, I actually go through and I classify the treatments we do into what I call very superficial, which is just stratum corneum, down to superficial, which is down to the basal layer of the epidermis. And then I look at your deep peels or, or your medium depth peels, because we don't do deep, your medium depth peels, which move mm. into the dermis. Now, they're the three categories that we work on when we look at trying to manage skin conditions. And we need to be mindful of, it is, of exactly what it is we're trying to do. Microdermabrasion is stratum corneum targeted. Now, it mm. does have, because you've got cell-to-cell -cell communication, it does have a remodeling effect in the dermis when it's done long-term. And I only found this out when I did my Vic Uni degree. I didn't realize that you had long-term stimulation of collagen and elastin in the dermis with just micro. But I have mm. actually seen microdermabrasion, a microdermabrasion um, tool being used almost like a surgical implement where the esthetician has gone in really, really harshly and actually... Um, caused um, abrasion to the skin and has, mm. you know they've caused um, PIH from microderm which should not happen wow. you know so I, I think it's a matter of, of looking at the skin working out exactly where the condition is located in the skin and then deciding on your modalities based on that. Mm, I couldn't agree more. And and as you're saying there, respecting the device and understanding that there's a person mm. in the skin. I love that. I think um, when I um, was working for a company, they didn't have any treatment programs or packages. And the therapist would always say to me, Tamara, I don't know what to prescribe. I don't know. Can you organize packages to be made? Can you create series? Can you create treatment journeys? Mm. And it worries me that therapists don't have the autonomy to mm. do that. You know, some therapists, obviously not all therapists, but we should be always customizing and creating bespoke, unique skin packages. And as you said, it shouldn't really be a cookie cutter. Here is six of mm. one peel and then come back. It should be every single time I'm going to look mm. at the skin. What are the epigenetics? What are the lifestyle factors you've been doing since you've seen me last? And how can I then tailor that to get the best result from today's treatment? Absolutely. Can I tell you something that really excites me, Tamara? It's the fact that the skin microbiome is now becoming uh, a focal mm. point. And that, that is where my interest is going. And I think that we're going to find that people are going to be questioning more what's being done to their skin and the impact on the skin because that's what drives, you know, change in the industry. The, the, the patient learns more about different things and then they come to, to ask us and to challenge us about it. Look at the way our products have been cleaned up you know, as far as ingredients go, you know, no one yes. wants any of the nasties anymore. But once upon a time, all of our products were, were you know, were bought based on how they smelt and how they mm. looked, the color of them. And that's gone now, <laughs> you know, and even preservatives themselves are being questioned. Well, it's coming to a time where our, our clients are going to be asking us exactly what we're using on the skin and how supportive of the skin's microbiome those products are. Watch this space. <laughs> it's an exciting time Absolutely. to be a part of the industry, isn't Absolutely. it? <laughs> uh, so you were talking before about prepping the skin. Mm. So um, you talked a little bit about ingredients there. How long would you suggest is a safe amount of time to prep and what kind of specifics can we go into um, with regards to ingredients? That's a great, great question. So I think that prepping, I mean, I think all skins should be prepped um, with some vitamin A and some antioxidants and, you know, obviously good sunscreen um, before they, you know, a, a, a treatment is done. But when you are looking at managing potential PIH risks, then I think that a pigment inhibitor and um, a melanin transfer inhibitor like niacinamide should be added to the mix. And I would normally say Fitzpatrick three to four, I would say two weeks A Fitzpatrick higher than a four, I would say you're looking now at about four weeks. Some people who are nervous will push it to six weeks. Um, there's no harm in doing that. But I think if they are religiously using the products for four weeks, they're good to go. Mm, amazing. And is there anything internal advice-wise for prepping we should tell the clients? <laughs> inflammation drives pigment. So, you know, <laughs> looking at foods that are, that are drivers of inflammation can worsen pigment. 
Um, but there's also, so, so looking at diet and really sort of looking at um, making sure that vegetables are the mainstay of your diet and, you know, getting rid of, of well, not getting rid of because that's not realistic, but really sort of just being conscious of the amount of um, refined processed foods that are being consumed. Alcohol is a big driver. People don't think of alcohol, mm. but it is. And it's unfortunately part of, you know, our Australian lifestyle. But then we then have conditions that are worsened by it that we then have to manage. So that's definitely a discussion to have with, with, um, with clients. Um, so dietary modification. But there is also, and unfortunately, as therapists, we don't have access to this, but there is a, um, there's a particular medication, I think you can call it, called tranexamic acid. And tranexamic acid is applied both topically to the skin, but also taken orally. And it has been shown to have dramatic results on mm. melasma. So, wow. yeah, so that was doing the rounds in a lot of, um, a lot of um, conferences on pigmentation, this, this wonder drug. Now, I don't know what the side effects are because, you know, there are always side effects with medication. But, um, <laughs> yes, from a, from a dietary perspective, I would just say really focus on getting, getting the client to reduce those foods that are pro-inflammatory. And they're all the mm. things that, you know, you find in, in, in um, places like your fast food joints and, um, and your supermarkets in, in pack, pack, packets. Amazing. And so... I think the common theme throughout this episode and your blog and by the sounds of it, the conversation that was had in that group is the fear, mm. the fear of therapists um, not knowing how to treat, uh, just being overcautious, mm. not being educated on how to treat. Mm. Um, how can we overcome the fear? I think the most, um, the easiest way to overcome the fear is to look at it as an opportunity to learn, right? Um, when when mm. you think of how we started out in beauty school, not knowing anything about the body, and then by the end of our course, having a really good understanding of the contraindications of certain types of treatments that we, we, that we um, perform on clients, we've got to go back to the basics. And, and, you know, you put your hand up and you say, I've got no idea, but I want to know because I do see these clients coming into my clinic and it embarrasses me that I've got no idea what to do. So all I do is an enzyme treatment. I, mm. I, I say, look at, at what's out there. You know, my nutritional academy, nutritional skincare academy, I offer classes, I offer webinars on, you know, I've got one called managing pigmentation risks in ethnic skin. So it's just going out and, and finding information that is available. Um, I know that um, there are, there's another academy. I'm trying to think. Nancy Abdu's is it laser and dermal? Oh yes, the laser and dermal. Yes, dermal and laser. Is it Tadley? Yes. The, yes. yes. <laughs> Sorry, I feel so embarrassed. I, I can't even remember what it's called. But um, Tadley does some fantastic education, and I think what mm. what what gives me um, confidence is that the educators, um, for the most part, are Hyatt Fitzpatrick's. So they know what they're talking mm. about. And they, rather than giving you a textbook explanation, they, they're actually telling you what to do because they have experienced it. They've lived it. And so I just think, you yes. know, embrace the fear but do something about it. Amazing. Mm. Um, I've just written the acronym Tadley down. It's the Australian Dermal and Laser Institute. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Nancy, if you listen to this and Kayati, they're amazing girls and they do amazing things and I couldn't know it. Um, but, yeah, that's a, a great place to start with them, yeah. Absolutely. And so I love that you've mentioned your classes as well. So for anyone who doesn't know um, the Skincare Academy, talk about where you're located, what you do on a bigger, wider scale and where we can find out more. Thank you for the opportunity, Tamara. So I am actually online and I, I used to have a face-to-face -face presence where I'd travel around Australia. I did that last year. But what I found was mm. that I wasn't always able to get to the, the smaller towns or, you know, sort of go as far afield as I would like. And so what I thought that mm. I would do differently this time is to bring it online. Um, so I've got two main courses that I run. I've got my foundation course, which is an eight-week course, and I have my introductory course. And both of these courses focus on looking at how nutrition is linked to skin health. But the foundation course is, is for people who are sort of more advanced, who have some kind of understanding. And the introductory course is a, <clears throat> excuse me, a four-week course. Now, it used to be my two-day face-to-face. It's now a four-week 
online course. Now, both of these courses I do live. I do over a four mm-hmm. and an eight week period, two hours on a Monday live. And what I find is that clinicians love this because unlike a course that you sign up for that's online that you can go back to any time, you have to attend this because I'm live. And then you have, you have the recordings that you can then go back and, and review as, as you please. So I've found that this um, works really well. And I've got people, <clears throat> excuse me, in the UK and in the US and in New Zealand and Tasmania that have joined, whereas previously I wasn't always able to, um, to have them along for obvious reasons. So, yeah. Fantastic. And, and what are your, yes, socials, sure. please. So on um, Facebook, I have the Nutritional Skincare Academy. My nutritional consultancy is called Glow Skin and Nutrition. On Insta, Nutritional Skincare Academy has the in front of it. So it's the Nutritional Skincare Academy and um, Glow Skin and Nutrition is my consulting business. Amazing. It makes it hard, all the different platforms, to have one consistent yes, name, doesn't it? it? <laughs> they're, they're two that I'm most active on. I'm trying to get better, but geez, tomorrow it's hard, posting regularly, etc. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I love the interest that I'm getting. So, um, yeah, hopefully I can get a few more along. Fantastic. I will put all of those um, little notes in the uh, podcast show notes as well as uh, linking all of your Facebook and social media and Instagram and the website and everything um, along as we uh, publish this one live. So thank you so much for all of that information. It's been an absolute pleasure um, and really eye-opening to, you know, hear from a Fitzpatrick six um, to a two, I'm a two, um, you know, to kind of hear about how to treat and the safety around treating and um, knowing when and where and what to treat. It's been uh, really amazing having you on the podcast today. My pleasure. Uh, Thank you so much for the opportunity, Tamara. I've enjoyed it. It's been great. How was that? That was just absolutely incredible. I think sometimes as therapists, we don't know what we don't know. And perhaps you didn't know that you didn't know how to treat a higher Fitzpatrick skin type. Or maybe if you did know how to treat a higher Fitzpatrick skin type, you've learned something a little bit extra that made you want to continue your study and further investigate the wound healing response and post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. I know it certainly made me feel that way. One thing I took away from the conversation was something that Chizar said The more we educate people and empower people, the better our industry comes. And I could not agree more. And I'm going to leave you on that little sentiment today. Until next time, stay connected.